we pray that, that as we share around your word, that your, this, this incredible sense of your presence that we've experienced during worship would not go away. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And you know, it's usually amen. And it's usually me who forgets to take up the offering. But it wasn't me today. So we are going to take, if you, brought, if you brought money with you or you'd like to give in the offering, the ushers are going to take up the offering right now. So go ahead. I really enjoyed the, the depth that we went to in that series. Now we are talking about impacting your world. And two weeks back, just before Father's Day, we spoke about we spoke about following Jesus, and we used that scripture from Matthew 4. That's when Jesus called his disciples, and he said, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you remember that? And we talked about how whatever you follow makes you into something, and how as we follow Jesus, he makes us into something that does, in fact, impact our worlds. That scripture in Matthew 4 leads us to an interesting phrase that you will often hear in this church. It is our three F's, follow, fellowship, and fish. We follow Jesus, and in following Jesus, we are brought into contact with amazing people who are following Jesus. And we gain most of our, our relational input from the fellowship of being together. But in addition to that, we fish for men. So in this church, we believe that a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ is three things. It's someone who follows Jesus, who fellowships with other believers, and fishes for men. Brings people from outside of Jesus into the fellowship of being under his lordship. Can you all turn to your neighbor and say, follow fellowship fish? Follow fellowship fish. This is what it means to be a disciple. We follow Jesus, we fellowship with others, and we fish for men. And today we're going to be talking about fellowship. There is a, a well-known researcher from Harvard. He's a doctor, a PhD doctor. He, his name is Dr. Lee, Dr. Andrew Lee. And he's not only a researcher, but he, he now lives in Australia, and he's a government member, he's an MP in Australia. So he's a political sociologist, if you want to know what he is. And while he was doing his research at Harvard, he, he noted that around the world, our connectedness with other people is diminishing. And he noted that at the same time, as our connectedness within communities diminishes, so our mental health diminishes. And around the world, we're seeing an epidemic of health, physical health problems and mental health problems related to a lack of connectedness, relational connectedness to others. In his research, he's written a book called Disconnected. You can go and find it uh, for yourself. But in there, he's got a chapter on religion, which was so interesting because he's an atheist, an avowed atheist, doesn't believe in God at all. But he has a chapter on religion, and in there, he says a profound thing. He says that, in his opinion and in his research, the greatest place to find connectedness, to make connections, is in church. He noted this, that 
your level of connectedness and well-being increases in proportion to how regularly you attend church. And it doesn't increase proportional to how much you believe. I know, it's wild. So in other words, just coming to church, whether you believe Jesus or not, is good for you. The wild thing is that him, an avowed atheist, has children, he's married and he has children, and he takes his family to church. Why? Because it's good for them. Now, I honestly believe that he, he needs to go one step further and maybe understand that if he could belong to a church and believe, he'd be even better off. He would have eternal, eternal goodness, not just, just happiness here on earth. So my hope is that you can belong and believe. But nonetheless, isn't that a profound thing for an atheist to discover? And, and to be so convinced of it that despite his aversion to the beliefs of Christianity, he, he makes his family go to church. Fellowship is good for you. So I, you know what, please can you pass me that little clicker there? I need to have something to change my slides. Thank you so much. He calls this, sorry, we went one too far. He, he calls this social capital and it's the benefit we derive from friendship networks. Jesus was so committed to relationship. He spent all of his time with, well, most of his times with 12 men and then, then an even more intimate time, significant time with three particular men. And then he spent time with, with the crowds. He was, he was committed to the relational aspect of Christianity. In Matthew 18, he talks about some some phenomenal principles to do with being together. And I want to spend some time on what Jesus said about being together. We're going to be doing Matthew 18, and we're going to be doing a whole lot of scriptures. I am going to start from the end of the group of, of verses that I am using, why am I doing that? Because the verses prior to it that I'm going to get to later are quite controversial. And they have some interesting and often misunderstood things there. I know if we read those first, your mind will not hear anything I have to say after that. So I am going to start at the end and move backwards. Are you all okay with that? I mean, who makes the rules anyway that you start at the beginning? So Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. By the way, let me just introduce the kind of shape of my sermon. I, I want to talk about the power of fellowship. I want to talk about the threat to fellowship. And I want to talk about the promise or the purpose, should I say. Sorry, I forgot that word for a moment. Even up here, you forget things. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the process. No. 
The purpose. Thank you. Thank you. I need cue cards. The purpose of fellowship. So it's the promise, the threat, and the purpose. So we're going to start with the promise. In Matthew 18 from verse 19, it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. You know what? We gloss over that scripture a lot. But can we just settle in and think about it for a moment? Where two or more are gathered, I am there in their midst. It means Jesus is here now. And then he goes on and he says, well, he, he says that before, um, if any, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. There are only four times that Jesus said, absolutely your prayers will be answered. That was when you pray in his name. That's when you pray in faith. That's when you pray abiding in his word. And here, when you pray and agree with other people. He says, absolutely, it's going to happen. The bottom line of this scripture is this. Can you just move my slide on? Thank you. Is that prayers prayed together are more powerful than prayers prayed alone. Prayers prayed together are more powerful than prayers prayed alone. In addition... Guys, can you, you're going to have to move my slides for me. My, for some reason, my clicker is not working. Li now it is, you know, it's just... Life lived together. Oh. Okay. Prayers prayed together are more powerful than prayers prayed alone. In a broader sense, life lived together is more powerful than life lived alone. Life lived together is more powerful than life lived alone. So, some beautiful testimonies. Is some time back, we see Angel sitting here right in the front. Hello, beautiful Angel. Sitting in the second row here is Angel. When her mom, Masejo, was pregnant with Angel, the doctors came to Masejo and said that the child inside of her womb absolutely had genetic problems. I know they vacillated as to which genetic problems they were going to have, and they needed to do a series of tests that would be very dangerous for the child. Masejo was in my connect group. She came and said, this is the, this is the story. We said, we're going to pray. We prayed, uh, my connect group, many other people in this church prayed. Together we prayed. That's the point. It wasn't just one person. It's together we prayed and agreed. Masejo decided not to do the tests because of the danger to the baby. Angel 
was born perfectly normal and is one of our most vibrant and delightful members of our church. Angel, do you want to come up here? Thank you, sweetie. Come on up. There you go. Face everyone. This is Angel. And as you can tell, she is just as she was meant to be. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, sweetie. You can go back to your mommy now. Yep, totally normal. You know, a few weeks back we had Punehi and Daniel stand up on the stage and share how they had battled to fall pregnant and they, there she was with the big bump. Well, two days back, Gabriella was born perfectly normal despite the fact that doctors said she would never conceive. The beauty of this is that it wasn't her alone just believing. It's as a church we prayed. As a community, we prayed. You see, prayers prayed together are more powerful than prayers prayed alone. Life lived together is more powerful than life lived alone. I cannot tell you how many people have contributed to the success of my life. I was watching, Andrew and I were watching a documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger, and whether you like him or not, he's certainly accomplished a lot. And right at the end, it's, it says, uh, he, he's known as a self-made man, and there he is at 75. He was sitting in front of the camera, and he said, that couldn't be further from the truth. I am not a self-made man. I am a, a sum total of the many, many people who impacted my life. You see, life lived together is more powerful than life lived alone. I'm going to carry on with the scripture in verse. Now we're jumping right to the beginning, 15, and you'll see why I, I didn't start here. Matthew 18, from verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, everyone take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. We are now looking at the threat to our fellowship. You see, there's something so powerful when we meet together. You all know that when you come to church, your sense of connectedness to God and to other people skyrockets. You all know that when you're listening to the word or you're hearing someone share for the offering, your understanding of God goes through the roof, even more so than when you're reading your Bible alone, which is a good thing to do, to read it alone. But nonetheless, is something very powerful that happens when we're together. God designed it that way. But because it is so powerful when we're together, when we're living in community, the devil works over time to mess with that. And we also know that there is magnificence in being together, but there's also some pain in the sense that people are not perfect and sooner or later someone is going to offend you. Now here's an interesting thing, is that when Jesus was here, he mentions the church, the church didn't exist at that time. 
You see, what Jesus was doing, he was, he was saying that the togetherness of my body is so important that I am going to lay foundations now for the church that will be in the future. I know that they're going to be offended. I know that they're going to have a hard time with each other from time to time. I am now going to work out a process of reconciliation that they will be able to use. I want to tell you a story. Well, let me, let me rather than tell you a story, let me remind you of the movies you've watched. You know that movie you watched where the criminal mastermind got hold of the innocent victim, killed the innocent victim. Sorry, this is going to be gruesome. Are you okay? Killed the innocent victim, put them in a bath, and dissolved the body in acid. Do you remember that movie? Sorry, guys. Oh, who's freaked out right now? Don't worry, it's going to get better. But the bottom line is, that I want you to remember from this, is that acid is very powerful. That it can do some very bad things. Any one of you who have got hydrochloric acid on your clothes, you will know that it leaves a big hole right there. You see, acids are dangerous things. I'm going to take you a little bit further. But remember your science lessons at school. You know the ones where you, where you try to sabotage the, the experiment and make it blow up and, you know, you just where you weren't really concentrating and you were just trying to attract the girl next door? You know those science lessons. <laughs> oh, you were concentrating. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, then you'll know what I'm about to talk about. You see... You see, they're not just acids as chemicals. They're also something called alkaline or bases. And the wild thing is that they are just as corrosive and dangerous just on the other end of the spectrum. I've never seen a movie where they dissolve someone in caustic soda or in any, any alkaline. But nonetheless, you could do that if you wanted to. So on their own, acids and alkalines are very, very dangerous. But here's the wild thing. If you mix an acid and an alkaline together, those of you who concentrated in your science lessons will know that you get not an explosion, not something crazy, you get a salt. Yep. When you put an acid and an alkaline together, you get a salt. Now you're thinking, Carol, you've now lost it. Your science training is overwhelming your pastoral training. No, hang on. You see, hydrochloric acid, sodium, hydroxide, put them together and you get good old plain table salts. Very useful and very tasty. So put your acids and bases on this side. And now I want you to think of some hurt people that you have met in your time. Brillo, Brillo Pad Brian, that rough man. And if your name is Brian, we're talking about the other Brian. Brillo Pad Brian, that rough man who's been hurt and in response, is very, is very often hurtful to others. 
Seriously, I do know we have a Brian. I'm not talking about you, Brian. It's just a BB. You know, you know what I'm saying. Got you. And then how, how about Sandpaper Susie? That woman who's... And also, if your name's Susie, it's the other Susie. But, you know, hurt people hurt people. And here's the wild thing. We've all been Sandpaper Susie or Brillo Pad Brian from time to time. But Jesus, in this particular scripture, he's saying something profound. He's saying, don't avoid sandpaper Susie. Go to her with your problems. And what he's saying is the, that very destructive acid and that very destructive alkaline, if we could put them together, we're going to get something useful. When you can bring the... the the pain, the, hurt, the hurting person with the other hurting person, you're going to get something fantastic. You're going to get the salt of the earth. You're going to get a witness to the world of people who reconcile their issues and move forward with the love of Jesus. That bride's going to be fantastic. You see, the other person isn't the threat. The distance between you is the threat. The other person is not the threat. The distance between you is the threat. And how does Jesus neutralize that threat? He told us very specifically. He said, first of all, go to them Point out their fault just between the two of you. In other words, don't go and tell everyone. Just you and them. See if you can work it out. See if you can make them see a reason. And you know what? It is my experience in relationships that it's seldom just one person the problem. In fact, I would like to say it's never one person that's just the problem. And when you go and talk it out just with them, you'll be grateful that you didn't bring someone else in the beginning because you will discover that part of the problem is you. And so figure it out. And in my experience, over many years of being a Christian, having people come and speak to me about things I've done that hurt them and me having to go and speak to them about things that have hurt them, there has never been an incident where we had to take it further than this. Every single time it was worked out at this level. But say they don't see your point. Jesus was very clear. Take one or two others along. And you know what? It could easily be that you, that you read that scripture saying, find people to justify your point of view. Find the other people that hate that person as much as you do and all go and dump on them. You may read it like that. But in light of who Jesus is and how he operates with people, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, bring some outside observers in to help you navigate this difference. And here's the thing. You may need them there because you might be part of the problem. You might be wrong. You need people to look objectively at this so you can get to not justification for yourself, but truth for the relationship. 
And then it says, tell it to the church. And we get this picture of this person being stood up on stage. Hey, everyone, this is a really bad person. Avoid them with everything you have. <laughs> I know you're laughing because we're never going to do that. But when we talk about telling it to the church, what we are actually, what Jesus was actually saying is find authority figures that can help you navigate this. Bring it to a broader sphere. And it is our practice, certainly in this church, that we would broaden the scope of people who know about the issue, but we would only take it as far as the minimum amount of people that could help us solve it. And then it goes on to treat them as pagans and tax collectors. Whoa. I mean, it's like, get them out of the church. Don't ever talk to them. No. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Do you remember how he treated pagans and tax collectors? He went up to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and said, come down from the tree. I've got to have supper with you tonight. He commended the centurion for his faith in praying for his servant. He used a Samaritan as an example of a godly person. Jesus pursued pagans and tax collectors. You see, it is probably likely that if you've been through this whole process in trying to resolve conflict with someone, that it is likely if they get to the end of this process and they can't see your point of view or they're unwilling to reconcile, it's very likely that they don't know Jesus because their hearts are not softened to be able to want what he wants. And then Jesus is saying, don't reject them, but put them in your mind in a different place. Now this is not your bestie anymore. This is someone you need to reach out to. Now I'm not sharing my most intimate secrets with them, but what I'm doing is I'm trying to create an environment that they can see Christ in me and they can walk into the kingdom, that I can journey with them back to Christ. So I hope that gives you a bit of a different perspective. It goes on and it says, Matthew 18, verse 18, and I, I know you have... You've read this from time to time and you've heard it in other churches and other places and it's exploded your mind with, with wild practices in prayer. It goes like this. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now I know, when you read it like that and you've sometimes heard it being taught, that it means that I can go and bind all the corruption in South Africa and then I can loose electricity into my home. And bam, there it will be. Or I can bind my creditors. And I can loose into my bank account 10 million rand. Bam, problem solved. Go try it, come back, tell me how it goes for you. But we have, we've heard it portrayed like that. And, and you know, we all know because we've tried it that it doesn't work. You know, when I was at varsity, there was, there was a teaching that went around on this scripture that went like this. No, you are not supposed to bind evil things and 
loose good things. You're supposed to bind to you good things and loose evil things. You know, it's like, it's like people, we just have to always find like something new. It's like, just, it keeps on happening. So me, I'm sitting in chemistry class because I did do chemistry, as you can tell, and I listened to my lecturers. So I'm sitting in chemistry class and there is this guy. I mean, guys, fantastic. I'm not going to tell you whether he was better looking or worse looking than Andrew, but he was, he was fine. <laughs> me, I was too shy to speak to the guy. Every time he came near me, I just like, googly goop came out of my mouth. You know, I just couldn't even think of an intelligent thing to say. So I just heard this teaching. I was like, yes. So I bound that guy to me in prayer, and I loosed all the other women from him. I did it with vigor and faith. <laughs> Praise the Lord, it didn't work out because he turned, to be a bit, turned out to be a bit of a strange one. <laughs> didn't work. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Aren't you pleased about all the prayers that God hasn't answered for you? <laughs> it's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you. That, you, that you're wiser than me. So clearly, we're not reading the scripture right. Clearly, we're not reading it right. So you'll notice I'm using the NIV 2011 this time, just to give you a little Bible, Bible knowledge. I usually use the ESV. You probably don't even notice that. But I normally use the ESV just because that's the Bible I most commonly read. But today, I wanted to use the NIV 2011 because the NIV 2011 does something interesting. It puts a very clear note in the scripture to help us understand it better. And there it says, truly I tell you, whatever you bound on earth will be bound or will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed or will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, the tense of the verb is this, is that when we pray and we so-called bind or loose, is that what we are looking for is we're looking to see what God has done in heaven, what his perfect will is, and then we pray that. We look and see what God wants, and then together we, we bring that to pass. And it's, it's not even necessarily prayer. It's more a case of um, in relationships and in church authority is when we, when we look at what God wants, his perfect plan for the earth, we don't allow anything that's different into the place. And we say, this is what God wants, so this is what we'll accept, nothing more and nothing less. I know. It's fantastic. And we see that in operation all that time. It's Jesus saying to us, you have the power on earth to determine what is allowed and what is not allowed. It's very empowering. And by all means, do that in prayer, but also just do that in life. Stand your ground for righteousness. And God, God will back you. Interestingly enough, in the English language, the word you is used for any kind of amount of people. So I could say, you are all fantastic. And I use the word you. Or I could say to Tobeka, Tobeka, you are fantastic. Plural or singular, we use the same word. That is not true of any other language in the whole world. Did you know that? 
is that every other language has a plural form of you and a singular form of you. If you're talking to a lot of people, you use one word. If you're talking to a little one person, you use another word. And when we look at the original Greek of this particular scripture, the you is plural. Jesus did not say to Becca, whatever you bind on earth will be bound. He said, church, whatever you bind on earth will be bound and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. You see, here we come to the purpose of fellowship. Is that as the church, as a corporate community, we are meant to enforce the will and way of God on this earth. We are meant to establish what God has done through the cross and say, this is what can happen and this is what should not happen. The very word church, only used twice by Jesus, one of the times here in the previous verses, the very word church, ecclesia, was taken, borrowed from Greek as a place, as a, as a, not a, as a place, as a group of people who governed cities and governed city-states. The ecclesia were the governing body of the city-states of the Greek people. When Jesus taught, cho chose the name for our gathering to be Ecclesia, he chose it specifically that we it would bring to our remembrance the fact that the church is meant to establish God's will on earth. We're meant to lead and govern and, and say what can happen and say what can't happen. We are meant to push back poverty. We are meant to push back crime. We are meant to bring righteousness. We are meant to say no to corruption in our workplace. We are meant to love our children well. We are meant to do these things so that the will and way of God is on the earth. As Jesus taught us to pray that his, his kingdom would come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what that scripture is saying. Does it make you feel happy? This is the purpose of us being together. The last point in this final point is that it's a corporate thing. Because let me tell you, you alone are not able to discern what the will of God is for the earth. It's us together that hear from God and contribute our peace to the picture so that together we are able to establish what God wants. You see, discernment is a corporate thing. We discern truth. We understand truth. We do theology together. There is no private interpretation that you can say, God told me this and so this must be truth. Yes, he speaks to you, but that, that him speaking to you must be judged by what he's saying to everyone else. Together we hear what God says. Together we discern the will and way of God. Together we implement it. This is the purpose of fellowship is to establish God's will and way in the earth today. The power is that when we together, Christ is with us. The threat, he taught us how to neutralize that threat. Come together, reduce the distance between you. And then he showed us 
why we do this, why it's important. Because together, the witness of God and what Christ has done on the cross is manifested through us to the world. Amen. You see, prayers prayed together are more powerful than prayers prayed alone. And a life lived together is more powerful than a life lived alone. We follow Jesus, we fellowship with one another, and we fish for men. Amen. That's what it means to be a disciple. Guys, I'm going to pray for one thing. Can we all stand? I'm going to keep this part of the service short because we have a fantastic braai. Can anyone smell the boravos yet? Is it not coming yet? Oh, gosh. Would someone go and look and see, make sure they've actually lit those braais? So, Lord Jesus, we come to you. Lord, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. I'm going to ask you if... If you're here and you've heard the testimonies of what Jesus did through to Angel, you've heard the testimonies of how when we live together, things are transformed. And in your heart, you're saying, I want to be part of this. I want to authentically be part of this community. But I know that the first thing I need is to get my heart right with Jesus. And see, if you are here and you would like to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer and I would love you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I surrender myself to you. Lord, would you be my Lord? Would you help me to follow you? I give you my life. Save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If you pray that prayer, I would love to just acknowledge you and personally pray for you up front here. So if that's you um, and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, won't you just raise your hand because I would love to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who prayed that prayer? Fantastic. I'm going to ask... If you raise your hand, won't you just come out of your seat? You can bring your belongings. We won't be long. I just, I want you to in the front here and I want to pray. Just actually lay hands on you. Can we give them a hand as they come? Thank you. Come on up. Come on up. One more person coming. We're just going to wait. Two more people. Three more people. Come on up. Awesome. Guys, I'm going to ask you, will you come a little bit closer? Because I actually want to lay hands on you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for these. And Holy Spirit, thank you. More coming. Lord Jesus, I pray for these. Holy Spirit, would you come upon them? Lord God, we acknowledge the prayer they prayed, and we say yes to their yes. Lord God, we are so delighted by, by the choice they have made today, the prayer they have pray, prayed today. Lord God, we receive them in our body. We make space for them, and we say yes 
Come and fellowship with us. Come and be part of us. In Jesus' name, let's change the world together. Let's change the world together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Fill them again. Fill them again. Fill them again. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen. Be blessed. Have fun. Go love Jesus and other people. <laughs>